Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and thank you for joining me again tonight and for continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. And a big shout-out tonight to our friends over at podbean.com for featuring the show this week on their mobile app. We really appreciate their support. And, folks, if you love podcasts, download the Podbean app because they've got a lot of great shows across all genres. And, again, very excited they are featuring us this week. I'm also excited because I've got three great friends who are also former PGA Tour pros that uh, are going to join me tonight. And we're going to talk a lot about lessons. We're going to talk a lot about what's going on in the game of golf and and just celebrate their friendship because they've been fantastic over the years. And I'm going to start with my first guest who goes all the way back to show number three here, and that's Bob Friend. Bob has been described by other guests who have joined me here on the show as one of the grittiest players on tour, a guy who worked as hard, if not harder than anybody out on the PGA Tour and got everything out of his talent. Plus, like I say, he's a great guy. Tonight, I want to get Bob's thoughts on what tour players as coaches can teach us that other people can't. I also want to get his thoughts on slow play and how the PGA Tour can fix that. I want to talk about swing speed versus tempo. I've always been taught, you know, as I was growing up through the game, that you, know, you need to have good tempo, good rhythm in your swing. Now it's all about swing speed. Can you have both? We'll find out what Bob thinks. He's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following Bob, I'm going to get a return visit from Frank Nabilo. You all know Frank from the great job he does on the Golf Channel and his time back on the PGA Tour in the 90s. Frank finished in the top 10 in all four majors during the mid-90s. He played in the first three President's Cups event, obviously on the uh, international team. So we'll talk about his experience there and get his thoughts on this year's event. Plus, I also want to get his thoughts on one of his adopted countrymen, Danny Lee. Danny is originally from South Korea, but he moved over to New Zealand when he was eight years old. He's a guy I've been waiting for to have a breakout year since he became the youngest U.S. amateur champion back in 2008 at Pinehurst. So looking forward to catching up with Frank. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from another great friend and a great instructor, Rob Strano. Rob played on the PGA Nationwide and Hooters Tours for 15 years. He's now a great instructor over in Destin, Florida. Did a great golf TV show over the summer called The Golf Kingdom. You could find it out on Blab TV or download the Blab TV app. So we'll talk about that. I got to go up and, uh, and meet with Rob at, the, at Augusta National earlier this year. He, uh, he introduced me to Bob Golby, who won the Masters back in 1968. We'll talk about his relationship with Mr. Golby. And Mr. Gobi's nephews, who or oh, by the way, Jay and Jerry Haas. So we'll talk about that as well, get some putting tips from Rob. Rob will join me a little bit later on in the hour. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and information and instruction coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You guys know how much the Lawrence brothers, both Mitch and Matthew, mean to me and their great golf shows. Please make sure to tell all your friends about it and continue to support both of them. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online 
at GolfTripX.com, and that's the letter X, so GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they take you around the U.S. and Canada to some of the great places that you can go stay and play. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses you may not be aware of. So go online to GolfTripX.com and check out their podcast. And here is where I would typically tell you how great Matthew's show, Backspin Golf, is, but he's ruining my Sunday mornings now by going out on hiatus until sometime in the spring. Now, fortunately, a show is available as a podcast on WLXG.com. That's uh, WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. So if you missed any of his shows throughout the year, you can go online and stream it as a podcast. Again, it's called Backspin Golf, and it's a fantastic listen. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Take a listen to Steve Rondonero and find out what's going on up there. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Be sure to check them out online at FrenchLake.com to see for yourself what a beautiful resort they have up there and to book your stay as well. And while folks, TaylorMade Golf has done it again, the TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are a tremendous story. They both feature speed-injected twist face created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I tell you all the time, yeah, that's right, every single head is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy, Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com. And folks, to play a ball with ultimate spin and stopping power, you need a physics-defying cover with molecular bonds that stretch but don't break. To play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast-layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. They are only in the new Z-Star and Z-Star XV golf balls, and they're only from Strixon. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their new fall collection out right now. And you're going to see Steve Stricker, Miguel Angel Jimenez, and Ernie Els wearing it out on the Champions Tour. Check it out online by going to bobbyjones.com and enter the coupon code on the T to save 20% at checkout. This segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger, lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet. The winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence. Grip golf pride. All right, now back. And get this, making his 12th appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of my all-time favorite guests, Bob Friend Jr., let me remind you about Bob's background. He's from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
He played his college golf at LSU, where he and David Toms and the rest of their LSU teammates won the 1986 SEC Championship. He had 11 career top 10 finishes while he was at LSU. He won the Pennsylvania State Championship in back-to-back years in 1984 and 85, turned pro in 87. He's played on the nationwide PGA and Champions Tours. He had five top 10 finishes his rookie year on the nationwide tour, including a second-place finish at the El Paso Open. He got his first win at the 1991 Fort Wayne Open. He had five top 10 finishes in 1994, three more in 97. In all, he's finished in the top 10 27 times. Baseball fans are going to remember Bob's father, Bob Friend Sr., who pitched in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and was a key member of their 1960 World Series championship team that beat the New York Yankees. Bob's been a great friend, like I say, for nearly six years now. And I'm thrilled to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, Chris, it's always great to speak with you again. You're the most prepared host I've ever spoken to on the radio. I appreciate you, my friend. Bob, before we get into all the golf stuff, I got to ask you, you got your LSU Tigers in uh, Alabama this Saturday afternoon, one versus two. How are you feeling about the game? You know, I, I'll be honest with you, Chris. You know, in years past, I've always... It's just a feeling of dread. Um, look, the, the strength of Alabama has is, is, is always been their offensive and defensive lines. Uh, I mean, those guys literally are like bulldozers with breakneck speed. Um, they still have that. But the difference this year at LSU is Steve Ensminger, the, uh, the offensive coordinator, and Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow is having a Heisman-type year. We have an explosive offense for the first time in I don't know how long. So it's, I, I, I actually have a pretty good feeling going in. Look, Alabama's going to be very, very difficult to beat. Nick Saban is always prepared. Tua is, uh, is questionable. Um, you know, so, you know, you don't know what that offense is going to look like. Um, you know, LSU, I just saw something on Twitter where Michael Divinity, our linebacker, um, is leaving the team for personal reasons. That's going to be a blow. But overall, I feel I feel. The Tigers, the first time in a long time, actually have a chance to beat this team and because uh, they are really good. So let's think about the positive, right? Let's focus on that. So if they get past Alabama, is this an LSU team that can get into the playoffs and win a national championship? I, I, absolutely. I, I, look, again, the number one thing is, is everybody going to be healthy? Um, I absolutely believe that. I think that uh, this team just has a different feel. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge LSU fan. Whether they win or not, whether they lose, I bleed purple and, I bleed purple and gold. My, uh, my wife, uh, Claire, you know, last year, she had never been to a college football game. Took her down to LSU Tiger Stadium, and we went to the Georgia LSU game. 103,000 people, big blowout win for the Tigers. And uh, she just looked at me, and she just said, now I understand. You know, it's one of those things where, uh, whether they win or whether they lose, once it's in your blood, you are a fan forever. And so uh, I honestly believe, you know, you take a look at Clemson. Clemson plays nobody. Ohio State has a great football team. Penn State has a great football team. But I honestly believe that LSU and Alabama are a little bit better than the rest. And I think that, uh, you know, if they can go and beat this Alabama team this Saturday, I think it's going to do an awful lot for their confidence. And uh, provided nobody gets injured, I, I think that uh, they have a good opportunity to win their fourth national championship. 
Do you think they have the right mindset, Bob, to not have a post-Alabama game letdown and then let that ruin their opportunity to get into a, a, a playoff and, and obviously then move on and win a national championship? Do they have the right mindset for that? I do. I honestly believe it. I think the coach will. Um, I, I, just, I just think it's just it, that this team just feels different. It just feels different. And uh, I honestly believe that he's got them focused and their eyes on the prize and they see the opportunity that they have. And again, uh, as most of your listeners know, how many, how many football players in the history of college sports have the opportunity to win a national championship? So I think that they're going to be incredibly focused and Lord willing, uh, they're going to get through the game with no injuries. Bob, I also want to get an update on your son, Andrew, who's playing this college golf for Central Alabama Community College and head coach Dave Jennings. They won a, a, a community college national championship earlier this year. How's Andrew doing? He's doing great. He, uh, you know, they had their ring ceremony a couple of weeks ago where he does national championship ring. Um, you know, he didn't play much as a freshman. Again, it's one of those things where it's a little bit of a learning experience. Uh, you know, it's funny, you know, you sit there and as a, as a, as a guy that played on the PGA tour and, and played college golf and was a good amateur and this, that, and the other, there are certain guys that you, that you see is like, they get out there on tour. It's like, I never heard of this guy. And they go out, they win. I mean, look at Rich Beam. I mean, Rich Beam was, he was a nice player, but he wasn't a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, you know, Rich Beam ends up winning the PGA championship. Um, Andrew is one of those guys that he has enormous talent, enormous ability, swings and his, the lines on his golf swing are absolutely beautiful, and he creates effortless power similar to that of Ernie Els. I mean, he swings it around 115 to 118 miles an hour. To put that in perspective, the average, tour, average swing speed on the PGA Tour is 113. Andrew does that without looking like he's doing anything. So he's learning a lot. Coach Jennings is a fantastic golf coach. They've got a great, they've got a great team. They've got a great program down there, and uh, they played a great facility called Willow Point, which, which is a Michael Hertzan design. And, uh, man, you just can't help but get better down there. Bob, there are a couple things I want to get your thoughts on as an instructor. And the game is all about speed right now. And, and when I was taught the game, it was drilled into my head to let the club do the work. It was all about swing, you know, swing tempo, having a nice, smooth, easy swing, let the club do the work. And like I say, right now, it's all about swing speed. Is it possible to have both really good tempo, and have increased swing speed? Absolutely. Take a look at Sam Snead, perhaps the greatest natural golf swing in the history of the game. What you, want to, what you have to understand is this. The speed comes from and the power comes from the lower body. What you have to remember is that the speed is really, it's at the moment of impact. It's not the transition. Where most amateurs get into an issue, is that their transition, once the club gets to the top of the swing, once it reaches its apex, they're very quick to try to jump at it with their arms. And usually what happens with that is they end up what's called dumping the angle. They're trying to hit the golf ball with their hands, trying to hit the golf ball with their arms, and basically they, they lose the angle, which is where all the power comes from. You take a look at a guy like Ricky Fowler, who is diminutive in size. Um, he hits a tremendous distance because of the so-called lag in the golf swing. The lag comes from, number one, being very flexible. And number two, it's, it's, it's the difference between what the shoulders are doing and what the lower body is doing in the transition. So, you, you know, you take a look at a guy like Sam Snead, you take a look at a guy like Ernie Els, 
who hits it tremendous distances. Doesn't look like he's doing anything. Great tempo for his entire career. Davis Love, fantastic tempo. Roy McIlroy, they have great tempo, but they also have tremendous speed. Some of it is stuff that can be taught, and frankly, some of it is stuff that is just God-given. Um, you know, you go and you take a look. You take a look at two sprinters, and because I'm 55 years old, I'm going to take a. I'm going to talk about Carl Lewis. If you took two athletes, you put them next to each other. You know, Carl Lewis and another sprinter. You take a look at them. Take a look at their body types. And say, it's like, oh man, they're they're going to be fantastic. One guy might run like he's carrying a refrigerator, and Carl Lewis is setting world records all over the world every year in year out. Certain athletes have quick twitch muscles. Tiger Woods is quick twitch. Quick, quick twitch muscles. Brooks Kepka, Davis Love, um, Rory McIlroy. Some guys, you know, they look like it, they should hit it a long way, and they just don't. And other guys, you know, Tom Watson was the same way. Pretty small guy, but he had quick twitch muscles, created a lot of, lot of speed at the moment of impact. So you still want to have good tempo in your transition. Um, but you just, you know, the, the speed comes from, again, flexibility, and it comes from what, how quickly does the lower body unwind to the moment of impact. Bob, you put out a tweet yesterday talking about how former tour players don't always make the best teachers, but what they bring is experience of what is going to work under the gun and how to think. Talk about what you meant by those two things. Well, sure, sure. You sit there, look, there's a lot of great teachers in the United States in the PGA of America. Um, but the one thing that the PGA Tour player brings is you have to be very, very careful when you're working with them. Number one, you always want to teach to body type. Um, you know, the last thing that you'd want to do is a guy that's built um, like, oh, let's say, um, Joaquin Neiman and have him study Hal Sutton. I mean, two totally different body types. So the tour player Number one, what they're going to do is that they're really going to realize that you have to focus on the fundamentals. When you go and you take a look up and down the PGA at the PGA Tour event on a Tuesday where guys are doing most of practice, the guys really interested in fundamentals. Um, when Nicholas always ran into issues, it was Jack Rout was his guy. They would work on ball position. They'd work on posture. They'd work on alignment. Um, those are the fundamentals. A tour player also realizes that there are certain things that you're going to be able to take to the golf course, and there are certain things you are not. So when it comes to evaluating students, number one, you have to figure out how much time is this person really going to be able to give to what I'm going to talk to them about? And number two, how long is it going to take and how much work is going to have to be put in? So a tour player is going to realize, a tour player realizes more than a PGA instructor that has never, never played. You've got a lot of guys that are, that are good players at the club level, uh, the great players at the section level, this, that, and the other. But you also have a lot of guys that are teaching that are not necessarily good players. You have, as a, a tour player will always give you what you're going to be able to take to the golf course. They're going to spoon feed you as opposed to overloading you. That's, that's really what I think it is. Tour player is going to spoon feed you. You know, I'm going to give you maybe what you're going to leave. We're going to take a look at your posture. You know, most issues that I see in the golf swing are caused by poor posture and poor ball position. And so we're going to take a look at those things. We're going to take a look at your grip. We're going to take a look at your shoulders. And then once we get through those things and make sure that nothing needed to be changed there, 
then you're going to, you might give a guy one swing toss, And that's because as a tour player, you know that once you're out there competing, uh, you can't really be out there with more than one swing thought at a time because your focus has to be on the target. The other thing that tour players have that other non-tour players have, we have the ability to think. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to have um, a guy that is a, is a pretty good player and he, you know, he plays pretty well in the section. It's totally different when you go and that same guy tees it up in the U.S. Open or tees it up in the PGA Championship or tease it up in a, in a PGA Tour event. There is an ability that tour players have to compartmentalize and organize their thoughts that other non-players, they, they just don't have that knowledge. And what you're able to do as a tour player is you're able to impart that knowledge upon your students. Basically, okay, what are you thinking about? Okay, great. I understand that. I understand that. And and tour players are going to be able to deliver knowledge, workable knowledge. And other other instructors they they just they don't have the knowledge because they never played at the highest level. And the fact of the matter is that once a person gets the ball airborne, and once a person can get the ball basically going in the general direction of their target, the game is the game's about eighty percent mental. Bob, you mentioned target. And another way I think tour pros think differently than the rest of us is with respect to hazards, particularly water and sand. When we look at water in front or alongside of a green, we tend to panic a little bit. We let the idea of hitting it into the water affect us. Well, I'm guessing you guys aren't even thinking about that. You're thinking about shot shape, maybe wind, that sort of thing. Talk about what goes through of a PGA Tour professional in those situations and what we should be focusing on instead of all the negative stuff. Well, the first thing that you want to do is that when you get a negative, look, we all get negative thoughts. Um, you know, there's certain, you know, Mr. Hogan spoke uh, famously about the 11th hole at Augusta National Golf Club. His comment was, if you ever saw me on the green, on my second shot, now granted, the hole played a lot differently than it does now. These guys are hitting one iron, two iron, three irons into that green with the water hard left on the left-hand side. What Mr. Hogan said was, he said, if you ever saw me on that green, it was a mistake. I pulled it. The point was that the shot did not fit his eye. Look, as a tour player, we all have fear. We all, we all experience it. You'll sit there and you'll get up on a tee or you had a shot in a green, and for some reason, it's just, it, doesn't, it just doesn't fit your eye. So what the tour players are able to do is basically not get alarmed by that, uh, not get panicked by that, just kind of you recognize it as an old friend. It's like getting the butterflies. We all get nervous. Uh, if you don't get nervous, if you're not getting nervous, then it's not important enough to you. But what tour players do that the, that the amateurs do not do is that, number one, we develop a routine. When I mean routine, so what I'm talking about is this. In between shots, uh, you want to pick out three or four different things that you're going to let your mind go. And, you know, With a tour, you obviously got a caddy. So it's a little bit easier because you have a guy that's on your team and you can talk about various things. You talk about sports, politics, uh, kids, vacations, whatnot. And then as soon as that golf bag is set down by the golf ball, that's when you start drawing your focus. What's the lie look like? What's the yardage? Where's the wind? Where's the whole location? What do I need to be aware of? What club do I like? Once the club is pulled, then that player gets into his routine. And the routine is usually, if you take a look at tour players, most routines start back behind the golf ball. So for me, what I always did was, as a shooter, it's easy for me to understand, and, and we're on the Armed Forces Radio Network, 
you know, the old sniper motto is aim small, miss small. And so, so let's say that I want to have a ball end up in the left side of the fairway and there's water on the right-hand side. Well, if there's water on the right-hand side, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to tee the ball up on the right-hand side, basically so I can aim away and hit away from that water. The next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out a leaf on a tree or a window on a building. might be five or 600 yards away or three or four miles away. Very small, specific target. And once I have that target, I hold that small target in my mind's eye and I swing away. You know, my old, the guy that I used to work with when I was on tour uh, is Bob Rotella, the world-renowned golf sports psychologist. And, you know, it comes down to a certain, there's a certain time when you're playing the game of golf that you have to trust what you're doing. You know, he talks about you go to the range to train it, you go out in the golf course to trust it. And, you know, he always used to tell me famously, and I'm sure he told other players, that if you don't have the courage to trust what you've trained, then all you're doing at the range is exercise and go join a gym. So what you want to do is you want to pick out a small, specific target in line with where you want the ball to finish, hold it in your mind's eye, and just trust the golf ball is going to go there. It's, it's kind of hard to understand, um, but the more control you give up, the more control that you're going to have. If you get out there and you start guiding it, the muscles have a tendency to get tight and taut, and that ball can go anywhere. So look, we all get scared. We all have fear. Poor players have a better way of dealing with it because they've been there so often. And so hence it goes back to talking with her students. What do I do? I've got this shot. Well, this is what you do. You get back. You know, if the water's on the right, you want to tee it up on the right. Water's left, tee it up left. You want to hit away from the water, hit away from the trouble, pick out your mind, pick out your target, hold your mind's eye, and, you know, and also breathe, relax. You know, one of the very most powerful things that we can do as human beings is smile. You know, so if I ever had a, if I ever had a situation that was very, very tense or very, very, you know, unnerving, I'd smile. And when you smile, it just automatically, you can feel the, the tension drops out of your neck, drops out of your shoulders, you get more relaxed and gives you the opportunity to hit a better shot. And Bob, speaking of intense situations, one of the things that I think is the hardest thing to do on tour seems to be go out and play a final round with a big lead. We've seen some of the best players in PGA Tour history, guys like Greg Norman, more recently Jordan Spieth, and even Brooks Kepka. you know, this year, head into a final round of a major with a five or six stroke lead and then let it get away. How would you teach someone to go play with that kind of lead and free up your mind, free up your body versus playing conservatively and playing not to lose? Uh, you have to sprint to the finish. You know, it's like anything, you know, when we were kids, either in gym class or whether you ran competitively in your high school or college or in your junior high school, you know, your track coach is always telling you to sprint to the finish. And it's the same thing. You know, you, if you're, if you're five under par, uh, you know, I always made a habit of never looking at the leaderboard until there were nine holes left in the golf tournament. Because uh, what I was going to do is you're, you're basically jockeying for position. You're trying to give yourself an opportunity to win the golf tournament. So if you're, you know, if, if when I got to the point where if I was five under par, I wanted to get to six. If I was six, I wanted to get seven. It's that sprint mentality. Look, everybody goes through it. We're human. People make mistakes, uh, even at the highest level. But the fact of the matter is those guys, those collapses came from trying to be careful, trying to be perfect, trying to be cautious, as opposed to doing what got them in that position, which was 
There are certain red light uh, hole locations. There are certain green light hole locations. And there are certain yellow light hole locations. You know, when you have a, whether you're leading by two or three shots, when you have an eight iron or less in your hands, you'd better be taking dead aim at that flagstick because that's where you're going to build the birdies. You know, I always had the mentality that if you're, you know, if I've got a three shot lead, I want to get it to four just in case I happen to, you know, crap the bed, so to speak, coming down the stretch. I wanted to pad that lead as much as I possibly could coming down the stretch. So I had that ability that if I stumbled, if I wasn't, if I didn't get my mind in the right place, uh, and made a mistake, that I had enough of a cushion. So it comes from trying to be careful. It comes from trying to be cautious. And it comes from trying to be perfect. Look, again, as I said, you've got red light hole locations, yellow light hole locations, and green light hole locations. The way that I always looked at it, if I had an eight iron down to my wedges, I'm hitting it at the flagstick. Seven iron depends upon where the hole location is cut. Is it cut over bunker, near out of bounds? water, this, that, and the other. Six iron all the way down to your hybrids. Put the ball in the middle of the green. Walk away, two putt. Occasionally you might get lucky, either pull one or push one. Get it within eight to ten feet. But for the most part, you build your birdies with your eight iron on down, whether you're leading by four or whether you're leading by one or whether you're back by five. Green, yellow, red, hole locations, and always stick with that. Bob, one more before I let you go, and we've got the President's Cup coming up here in a few weeks. If it was Team Captain Bob Friend with your four captain's picks, who are you picking? Well, I haven't looked at the standings too much, but I know I'm picking Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, that, is that right? That really is, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, number one, what you want to do is that you want to take a look to see uh, who is playing the best at the time you know that's one of the big mistakes he always made the Ryder cup until you know Azer got in there and kind of tweaked it a little bit and made basically freshen the lesson um to where they were more current yeah i absolutely you know tiger tiger should pick himself number one it's he, he is when he's on when he's healthy we already know that he is although he's not the tiger woods of 10 years ago he is a force to be reckoned with reckon with and he's also very intimidating um and number two frankly it's great for the game i mean think about all of the all of the activity and all of the excitement that that occurred after and building up to during the masters of this past year uh that is great for golf especially when you take a look to see the time of year it's played with football season and everything else tiger woods selects himself as the president on the president's cup team as playing captain. I mean, what could be better for the game than that? Bob, before I let you go, remind our listeners what you're doing now, how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you on social media as well. Well, what I do, what I'm doing now is I'm I'm in the real estate business. I'm with Howard Hanna real estate services, and we are uh, based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Howard Hanna real estate services is uh, we're in 10 states. And we're the third largest real estate company in the United States. We're the third largest insurer of homes in the United States. We've got Howard Hanna Insurance, Howard Hanna Mortgage, and obviously Howard Hanna Real Estate Services. And so I've been doing that. I'm going to be uh, finishing up my third year this year. Just like my golf career, as Eric Johnson said, I got the most out of my talent out there. It's the same thing with uh, 
everything that I do. I, I just, I will not be out work. And so I worked very hard at real estate. I've done very well with it, and I love the business. And then uh, you can still find me on Twitter at, uh, at BobFriend underscore golf. And occasionally we'll send out uh, something there when uh, when I feel that it is necessary. But uh, enjoying my kids, my daughter turned 22 on Sunday. My youngest, Andrew, who you alluded to, is uh, he's going to turn 20 on the 12th. My oldest, Charlie, they're all fall babies. Uh, my oldest turned 24 on September 18th. And uh, just uh, really enjoying life. And, uh, you know, I, you, I don't know if you knew this or not, Chris, but I lost my dad. Uh, in February, yeah. he was uh, he was 88, longtime pirate pitchers you alluded to. Uh, my mom is 84, and she's tougher than new elevator rope. And so, uh, you know, spent <laughs> a lot of time uh, having just yeah, you know, having uh, you know having dinner with her, spending time with her. And uh, I'm newly married, married uh, my best friend Claire Oliver. She's now Claire friend and uh, beautiful girl that plays a little bit of golf, and uh, she's pretty tough too. So I'm surrounded by a bunch of tough women. Ah, good for you, my friend. That's awesome. And I did see that we lost your father earlier this year. What a hero he was to just about uh, you know everyone in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania, and and certainly to my family, my parents, my aunts and uncles who uh, were huge fans of those Pirates teams, and uh, certainly huge fans of your father. So uh, my heart goes out to to you and your family with that. On the positive side, congratulations on your wedding. Uh, happy belated birthday to your daughter. We're certainly going to continue to follow uh, your son, Charlie, and your son, Andrew, and uh, and their careers and the great things that they'll be doing. But uh, um, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Uh, you're a wonderful friend and a great supporter, and I can't thank you enough for all of that and for all the times that uh, you've come back and be a, being a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. Well, Chris, thank you very much. And again, to all the men and women in the armed forces all around the world, thank you very much. From the bottom of my heart, uh, you guys provide that blanket of freedom and liberty for us to enjoy the wonderful activities such as playing golf and the life that we lead here in the United States. So thank you very much, Chris. Always great to speak with you. God bless and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks, Bob. Same to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. Good night. See you, Bob. That's the great Bob Friend Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Bob Friend underscore golf. A lot of great stuff on there. He's, like I say, he's uh, he had a great career out on the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour champions. Uh, he's doing some great instructional work, so I encourage you to follow him. Try to reach out to him. If you're up in the western Pennsylvania area, reach out to him. He's going to be a great golf coach for you. Um, like I say, and on top of that, he's a, a 10 times better person, been a, a huge friend and supporter of the show almost since the very beginning. So I appreciate him very much. Look forward to getting him back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Frank Nabilo, please do me a couple of favors. First, check out our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor. Get involved in their demo program and get one of the clubs from their Fort Worth, PTX, new PTX Pro or Edge Irons, and go out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories. Plus their new GS53 driver and fairway woods, which are fantastic. 
Go online and see for yourself at BenHoganGolf.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Now back with me on the French Lake Resort guest line is Frank Navalo. You know Frank not only from the great work he does broadcasting on the Golf Channel, but his time playing on the PGA Tour as well. He's from Auckland, New Zealand. At the age of 18, he won the New Zealand Amateur Championship, becoming the second youngest player ever to win that title. He turned pro in 1979. His first professional win came at the 1982 New South Wales PGA Championship. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship twice in 1985 and 87. He joined the European Tour back in 85 as a full-time player and got his first win at the 1988 PLM Open. Frank finished in the top 50 on the European Order of Merit every year from 1988 to 1996. In all, he won 14 times around the world, including two Sarazen World Opens and the 1997 Greater Greensboro Chrysler Classic on the PGA Tour. He played on numerous World and Dunno Cup teams for New Zealand and was a member of the first three International President's Cup teams. In the mid-90s, Frank recorded top 10 finishes in all four majors, including a fourth-place finish at the 96 Masters, a ninth-place finish at the 94 U.S. Open, 10th at the 97 Open Championship, and 8th at the 1996 PGA. Frank joined the Golf Channel back in 2004 and is now a lead analyst for their PGA Tour coverage, plus their in-studio shows, Golf Central and Live From. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Frank, thanks for coming back on the show. Pleasure, Chris. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I know it's been a while, so uh, it's tough act to follow after Bob Friend. He's uh, <laughs> obviously he still loves the game in his capacity now. I've, uh, I actually saw Bob about a year ago. I think it was Greenbrier, and he had the, the same passion then as what he had when he was on the tour. Yeah, Bob's fantastic. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, Frank, I know as you and I were communicating leading up to tonight, you uh, you just got back from China. Talk about your experience over there. Yeah, it was good. I've actually had four of the last six weeks in um, in Asia. I was actually in Shanghai six weeks ago for the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship. That's where the winner goes on to play in the Masters next year. And uh, it was won for the second time by a very talented uh, Chinese player, still only 18, just turned 19 last month by the name of Yushin Lin. And, um, you know, China, their developmental program is really starting to turn out some marvellous players. Guan um, Long, who, as you would remember, made the cut at, at, at the Masters when he was 14, is probably the right. catalyst for that program. And then I came back. That's actually when we were going to chat. And then I just went back for, um, for three amazing weeks. There were PGA Tour events. Um, career was won by uh, Justin Thomas again. He fought Danny Lee right down to the wire, and then Zozo. What else can you say? Tiger Woods wins eighty-two um, with Hideki Matsuyama. It went into Monday. It was it was incredible the atmosphere there, and then uh, topped it off with with a playoff in Shanghai um, with you know Rory in front of an amazing crowd. Beat Xander Shoffley, who doesn't get enough credit. Uh, um, in, in the playoffs, it was the golf was great. Uh, weather at times was sporadic, but um, you know I really do like the way these young players play, and 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 they there were three very good wins. Frank, a couple of things there that I want to react to. I really want to get your thoughts. You mentioned Danny Lee; he's in a 
an adopted countryman of yours, a, a kid who was from Correct. South Korea, moved to New Zealand when he was eight, became the youngest U.S. amateur champion back in 2008. So want to get you, Danny is a guy that I've been waiting to explode onto the, you know, onto the PGA Tour. He's had some, some nice close, close calls. He obviously had just had a second place. He's had a couple of those in, in the last year. But talk about Danny's game. Is, and is this a guy that's ready to break out in 2020? Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, you know, I heard the tail end of Bob when he was talking about attitudes of players, and I think that's right. You know, sometimes people just have that intangible um, that you can't teach, but that they believe in themselves. Tiger Woods obviously has it. Um, you, know, you know, more than anybody else. Rory McIlroy's close. Brooks Kepka, you know, Jack Nicklaus. You, you go down through all the great players. And But Danny, I honestly think one of the best and worst things for him, believe it or not, is growing up in New Zealand. Um, he came from a Korean culture uh, and, and he had that work ethic. And then when he went to New Zealand, and a lot of the times growing up in that culture, rugby is number one, and they just had the Rugby World Cup in Japan. And but also you 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 really taught that team events are so much more important. So to play an individualistic game like golf and try and star, it's hard. Um, and Danny was outstanding at a young age. You just detail what he did, and then he also won a European Tour event. It was in Perth as a as an amateur. So you know his pedigree you know, spoke for itself, and it was just a case of making that transition. Came straight to America. He's been good enough. And matter of fact, I talked to, to Danny at the start of career. It's like, you know, you know, I get to sit in a chair and I get to see the best golf and I get to see some bad golf as well. I said, you're only looking at the best shots all the time because they're the ones really that make air. I said, if you got to see what I saw and, and realize that, you know, Tiger Woods took bad shots, Rory McIlroy hit bad shots, uh, that type of thing, you'd probably look at your own game differently. And, and, I, and I'm still waiting for Danny to find that extra gear because he's, there's, there's a, 50 of those guys on the PGA Tour. And the next star is probably going to come from that lot. And we just don't know which one it is because that one player or two players are going to have to think differently than the way they do right now. Frank, the other thing you talked about is you got to see Rory McIlroy get his fourth win in his last 15 events at the at the WGC mm. event over there. He certainly feels like he's back at the top of his game. Is is 2020 a year you think we're going to see Rory and Tiger go head to head and battle it out for a major or two? Or is when you really look at the field, there's so many good players out there. Is it is it just too wide? Are there too many great players because it could be any one of a you know a couple of dozen guys that have an opportunity uh, to win a major? Yeah, you can look at it a lot of different ways. Um, I would like to I would like to agree with you. Uh, it, it, number one, it gets down to how healthy is Tiger Woods going to be? Because when he is healthy, and he showed that in Japan, he has this amazing ability. I'm going to say Kepka has it, but he hasn't produced it as often as Tiger Woods has, that they are calm in the moment of crisis. And that's exactly what happened. I can't imagine what it would be like to be trying to tie a record. I know people are going to debate it, the 82 wins of Sam Snead. But he had to go into extra time. You know, I saw him at breakfast. I mean, he was just so calm. He was so prepared for the moment. And, and that's, that's always been one of his talents. And the fact that he just never gives up that position. And you saw with Rory at Shanghai, and Rory's pretty close. Rory has this amazing gear that every now and again the car comes off the track and he's got to put it back on. Rory doesn't quite close like Tiger Woods, but he, he has done some amazing things. And he, 
he's incredibly talented. So when you look at those two for a start and you throw in a Brooks Koepka or Justin Thomas, and, and, and obviously there's, there's some other guys too that we're just dismissing straight away. Um, but when you look at those guys right now, because they have performed at the highest level during the course of, of, of 2019, you, you look for the, the little things they do differently. And, and it is belief. Tiger Woods, when he has a lead on Sunday, believes that he has something that other people doesn't, they don't have. Brooks Koepka is the only other player of the last few years that stands on that final tee, sorry, stands on the first tee on Sunday and also has the belief that he's the best player in the field. It doesn't always translate to victory, but if you don't have that, if you're not your best friend on the first tee, then then it's problematic. And, and I think Rory, as soon as he hurt the ankle, he lost that little piece because he actually did have that in 2014. And if he gets that back in 2020, then, yeah, we might very well have three players who will stand on the first tee in a major championship or a players' championship and believe that they are the guy to be. If that happens, then 2020 will be spectacular. Frank, you talked a moment ago about the importance of team events and, and how, how that's drilled into you in New Zealand. You played in the first three President's Cup events. I'm curious to get your, your thoughts, your memories. How is the pressure and the dynamic different in a team event like that? You know, when you're playing for whether, you know, your country, your continent, your teammates uh, versus playing in a regular PGA Tour event or even just a regular, you know, World, G, you know, World Golf Championship match play event. How, how is that dynamic different? It's, well, fortunately, in New Zealand, you play team, team sports when you grow up. So we, we, we would play every sport. And there were going to be some sports that you were good at, so you were like a captain. And there was some sports, to be quite honest, that you would suck at. So therefore, you were one of the struggling guys on the team. So you learned to, to be a decent role player. It's not, if you're a good player, then you have to lead. And if you're one of the ones that struggle, then you have to support. So fast forward into a President's Cup um, or, you know, a Dunhill Cup or a World Cup, and I was lucky enough to play a lot of those. You, you have to find out really what your role is. Um, the, the only international team that won, because I had to do a lot of interviews just recently about it, 1998, and I said, what people don't point out is we had an incredible, strong top of the team. We had Greg Norman, Nick Price, Ernie Hudson, BJ Singh. They were four bona fide world number ones. Our fifth best player on that side was Steve Alpington, who won two players' championships. So we, we had five players that were the equal of any team in the world. So therefore, it was incumbent on the tail in that situation. I was one of those, to be honest, because um, I, I got struck in the head with a golf ball and been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So I, I realized that my career was going to come to an end sooner than I thought. So you, you, your role is to support and try and get some points. Um, and we had an outstanding player in Shijeki Mariama who punched above his way. Um, you have to understand really the importance of your position. The best players, and we see it in a Ryder Cup as well, they, they've got to score more than 50% of the points. In other words, the Tiger Woods, Jim Furyk, Phil Mickelson, we know that in a Ryder Cup. They have losing records. The best players in the world can't have losing records and your team win. It's expecting too much from the rest. And then it goes down and then if your 12th player gets a point or a point and a half or two, they've done well. So it, it really is like any other team. Your stars have to perform, and the other ones just have to, you know, they have to be Rubik's, you know, like the, the football movie. They have to just hang in there and provide spirit. If you get it all right, then it's an amazing experience. And it's something that, to be honest, tournaments that I won, I remember the team events because they're so few and far between. So those are the things that stick with you, something that you can share with another player in a sport that you both love. It's, it's 
you know, that's, that's the top of the choice on it. And Frank, before the President's Cup came about, you know, were you guys, you know, the international, the rest, everybody outside of the U.S. And, and Europe, were you guys pushing for another event to come around? Because the Ryder Cup is such a huge thing. I have to imagine you guys had to be saying to yourself, hey, what about us? When do we get an opportunity to get into a, you know, an event like this? Was that something you guys pushed for? Oh, very much so. I, I actually feel bad for four or five of those games that, guys that I just mentioned. Middle Uni House was one of the younger guys on the team. But, for example, Greg Norman and Nick Price, they were getting not necessarily to the end of their career, but they'd passed the sweet spot. So if they'd had the luxury that some of us had to play earlier on, they would have got the whole phase of the team event. Um, I, I don't know, just Jordan Spieth flew into my mind. You know, he was picked uh, as a, you know, 20, 21-year-old. So if, if at the end of your career, if you're allowed to, if you if you have the, um, obviously the ability, number one, if you get to, a, you know, go through a full cycle of team events where you're, you know, you're like a rookie, um, a, a really good player, one of the seasoned players, and one of the guys they hang their hats on at the end, and then at the end, you're basically almost moral support. If you get to do a full cycle, then then, then you have a tremendous career. So we, we desperately wanted that. A lot of our contemporaries, you know, Biasteris, Faldo, Langer, Lyle, uh, Wisnum, Olaf um, Arbol, they all played in Ryder Cups, and, and a lot of us had cut our teeth in Europe. So we'd seen how that team atmosphere against, you know, it's, it's a privilege to play America in that situation. So we'd seen how that helped develop their game and how they, grew and matured through that process. So we just thought that there was a, a big area of the world that wasn't getting that opportunity. So, yeah, we were desperate to try and be involved. I know the international team has been going through a cycle the last decade or so, but, but you know, the Ryder Cup's been going, I, I think it's since 1927. So you, you've got to be fair in assessment. Frank, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned a moment ago, Tiger's losing record. Do you think you should pick himself? I mean, t- TV aside, you know, fan, fans aside, looking at he's got a losing record in the Ryder Cup. He's trying to be a captain, so I'm sure he's got a lot of other things on his mind and trying to manage some things when you're out on the course and in between matches and all that sort of stuff. I've heard captains talk about how difficult it is and how, you know, the process of getting there and then setting things up in the pods and all that stuff. So there's a lot on his mind. And then trying to go out and play and win when he's got a losing record in these sorts of things. Should he pick himself? Well, I, I think it was Hale Owen that was, a, that was one of the co-captains that played in 1994. So that precedent has already been done. Um, to be honest, when I heard that he had another knee surgery, and I'm, I'm on record for saying no, um, you know, full disclosure, basically, because I, I thought, let the guy heal. I mean, he's had back surgery and whatever. Just, you know, don't put any pressure on him. But I was also, you know, in Japan just a couple of weeks ago, his first start back from knee surgery, and I saw the look in his eye. He wants to play. So to me, if a, if a person has won three times in the last 13 months against really good fields, and, you know, I think the Ryder Cup rankings right now, he's like fourth in, in the list and that. He's justified a position. Um, if, you, if, if the guys he wants to pick can't beat him, then he's a, he's actually got a problem because it's it's a really weird situation. Um, you know, if I if if somebody else was the captain, they would pick it. And and I was I was against that initially because I thought just give the guy a break. But the way in which he plays, and, and I honestly think that he has the bit between the teeth 
and he actually wants to win as a flying captain. That's just he's wired differently, and he's actually motivated for that. So yeah, I would not be surprised. I mean, his his uh, interview at the end um, talking with Tiger Lewis, and he was asked about, well, you know, the, the play, the captain Tiger Woods. What did the captain Tiger Woods think of the player Tiger Woods? And he said the player Tiger Woods got the captain's attention. Um, you know, <laughs> if he del- if he can deliver at that level, he 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 is that unique person that deserves the right. Um, like I said. I'm on record for saying I think he should just recover initially. But what I saw in in uh, in Japan, his ability to close, there's none better. So he has that luxury, and he deserves the right. Frank, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing with the Golf Channel and uh, follow you on social media? Just watch golf and love the game. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a bit of a social media pariah. You know, I've, I've always thought it was a, an opportunity for angry people. There's a lot of good people out there. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not a great fan of it. Um, that's probably not what everybody wants to hear. But, um, no, just, just watch <laughs> golf. Love the game. Get out there. Watch all these great players. Um, you know, I don't care whether they shoot 100, 85, 95. Um, it, 65. I still think it's the best game that's ever been invented. I know we we have our own issues right now. People talk about the ball, the clubs, and all that, but it's still, fundamentally, it's still a great game because it's about you. You can get out there, rain, hail, or shine. You can play. It's still fun, even for old people like them, Matt. So, um, you know, if you're a fan of the game, that's it. So I'm just trying to, you know, give back. I, you know, I have the best seat in the house sometimes when I get the opportunity to call golf. Um, is and as long as they want to hire me, then then I'll I'll keep trying to do it. But um, yeah, get out there, say hi, and and visit as many tournaments as you can. Believe in the game. Well, Frank, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and back and be a part of the show. It's always great having you here. I hope you come back again sometime. Continue to share your thoughts and your insights. You're fantastic. Thanks, Chris. Uh, apologize for the jet lag. Yeah, <laughs> I just got in yesterday. <laughs> no, <laughs> no worries. Take care, Frank. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. Bye. See you, Frank. That's Frank Navalo. Uh, Great stuff, I tell you. And um, when you look at his perspective from, um, you know, three President's Cup teams, and 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 it's something I've always sort of wondered about. Because of the rich history of the Ryder Cup, I had to believe that all of those other great players that aren't from, you know, Europe or or, over in uh, England, we're, we're just chomping at the bit for an opportunity to get to play in a format like that. So it's a, uh, it's great perspective to hear how much that they were pushing for that sort of thing. Frank's fantastic. Hope I get the uh, opportunity to catch up with him again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Rob Strano, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at positive vibes golf, check them out online at positivevibesgolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at P vibes golf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. They're a great on-course training aid as well because they help you stay positive by putting positive, happy images in your mind. You heard uh, Bob Friend talk about that earlier in the show, how it releases tension, help it get your mind back in the right spot. Because every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your head covers or your putter covers, you're going to smile. See what I'm talking about by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Tech for their support of PGA Hope. 
PGA Hope is the flagship military engagement program of PGA Reach. And Golf Tech is offering donors their choice of a free golf lesson or a club fitting. Help us support PGA Hope's mission to improve the lives of our military veterans by expanding this program and improving your golf game in the process. As a donor, you can choose between a 30-minute lesson or a Golf Tech iron or driver fitting at your local Golf Tech location. Check out more information online at golftech.com forward slash PGA Hope. This segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under, Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, and that's a whole nother story. And your girlfriend and or wife is going to love the side effects, a visually enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market and use coupon code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now back in making his seventh appearance with me here on the French Lake Resort guest line is Rob Strano. Let me remind you about Rob's background. He's from St. Louis, Missouri. As a junior player in the St. Louis District, Rob won the individual low-stroke average trophy and individual total points trophy back in 1981. He was a three-time All-Southwestern Conference and a two-time All-Area player in high school, played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana, played out on the PGA, nationwide in Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years and won five times. He's now one of the top instructors in the game for both kids and adults. He's annually recognized by U.S. kids as one of their top instructors. Plus, he's one of the few teachers in the game that's teaching the game to deaf children. You've probably seen Rob on the Golf Channel Academy, where he's a lead instructor, or on his TV show, The Golf Kingdom, which you can watch on Blab TV. Download the Blab TV app. Check it out there. Coming soon to some online other sites as well. Histrano Golf Academy is located at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida, which is a beautiful facility. It's one of the best courses in that area. And I'm honored to have Rob back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rob, how are you, my friend? Doing great tonight, Chris. It's awesome to be on with you again. The great Mascaro. See your suit yeah. there and say to the golf airwaves. I, I'm always excited to be with you, my friend. I appreciate you. So... Rob, I mean, you know, you've got so many great things happening. I mean, the Golf Kingdom was, you know, a tremendous, you know, first season you had there on TV. You've got the the Strano Golf Academy there at Kelly Plantation doing great things there. Catch us up. What's going on with you? Well, it's been a busy year with the Academy and, and of course, hosting my own TV show regionally here in the Southeast has been fantastic. Um, It was kind of a a dream come through. It's been something I've been working on putting together to be able to produce it with my crew and air it and stream it uh, nationwide. We've had viewers in 25 states um, watch the show, um, great reviews. It's it's a little kind of a different show. It's not what you're used to seeing on like the golf channel where it's staying there and coach. It's truly a variety show. We entertain, we have skits, we have guests. Um, I've done all kinds of crazy things on the show from dancing and singing, of which I'm not good at. Um, but I seem to have a very high threshold for embarrassment. So I've got no problem throwing <laughs> myself out there to come up with creative ways to entertain people 
and help them learn more about the game of golf and improve their golf games too. And and to that point, Rob, you do so many different things in so many different segments on the show. When you think back at all the things you did over the first season, it's got to be a lot of things that you're really proud of when you look back, because you, as you point out, this is your first time doing it and it came off really well. What are some of the things you're most proud of? Oh gosh, I think off right away. I think about the Declaration of Independence, your Declaration of Golf Independence show, which was our Fourth of July show. It, it was about um, teaching you how to move your body parts independently of each other in golf. And I did that show entirely in a George Washington powdered wig. Um, that was that was met with um, with lots of fun comments. Uh, our our segment called Talk Nerdy to Me. Um, has been great that was a we we did that um to talk about the science of the game my segment called it's just hot air which is sponsored by an air conditioning company talks about the myths and misconceptions of the game we've done things from parkouring onto the set to our recent halloween episode where we um we kind of had a, a nightmare scenario to start the show and my crew turned into zombies and attacked me, um, you know, it's it just, it's just, I've got a great creative career. We bounce ideas off each other and we have lots of fun coming up with some of the crazy things we do to entertain people. I did, I did a, a segment a couple of shows ago with a trash can, just a simple household trash yeah. can you have in, the, in your bathroom. And I said, I had three drills using a trash can you could do at home or if you want to take the crap trash can of the course, and that one, I had a lot of good comments about that one too, Chris. Yeah. So, and I and I watched that, and and then, and, and you did a great job. But for for those that are trying to picture, what the heck is he talking about doing with a trash can in my golf swing? You mind sharing that tip? Well, there are three of them if I can remember them all. The first one was if you grab the trash can. By the, by the side, so the top is open. Um, I, I, I we kind of we kind of had fun with it. I said my my crew filled it with golf balls, and you want to go back and hold it out in front of you like your like your your set to a golf ball. And as you go back, you want to pivot the trash can and dump the contents out behind you. You know most people will twist it the wrong way and they won't dump anything out. But to get the arms in position, you want to go back and dump the the contents behind you over your shoulder. And I said there were golf balls in there. What we actually put in there were ding-dongs. And so my crew was, was eating the ding-dongs during the show after I dumped them out. And then at the end, end of the show, in the closing credits, I had one they saved for me. And I started to eat it. They kept the camera rolling. And I ate this thing in two bites and was talking about ding-dongs with my mouth full. And that was pretty a pretty funny close to the show. But then um, the other one was put the trash can between your legs in your setup and swing and to calm your leg action, don't bump the trash can when you swing. And then the final one was to keep from peaking when you putt, put it on your head, get set to the ball first, put it on your head, and then hit a putt, and you can't look, so it teaches you to keep your head still. You know, Rob, that's we've been talking an awful lot about putting over the last several weeks. And that's one of the things that I think most of us, and, I, and I'm as guilty as anybody, of doing is leaving it low on the on the right side, on the low side of the hole, because we want, we want to peak. 
right? We, we're, we're anxious, we're nervous, we're, whatever, and, and we're peaking, and then the, the putter blade opens up, and the next thing you know, we're, we haven't given ourselves a shot to make that putt. So the idea of putting the, the trash can, the, the, you know, so you can't look is, is kind of genius. But talk about what, what are some other things that we can do, and you, you gave me some good tips when I got the opportunity to spend some time with you earlier this spring. But for those of us suffering from whether it's the yips or, you know, however you want to call it, and we're always missing it on either the low side or the high side, how can we go about making more putts? Well, going back to what we were just talking about, about keeping your head still and not peaking, an upcoming episode, I'll, I'll tease it, I did the Elvis drill for putting. So, so thank, you, thank, you very, thank you very much. It was a, it was a great drill. Um, <laughs> But but basically what you want to do is, is pop your collar. So pop your collar so the collar is sticking up, and the, the corners of your collar will poke out so that when you're set up, your chin fits between the collars. And what you want to do is hit the putt and not bump the collar. So if your head's moving from side to side or you're twisting your chin or you're peeking, if you do that, you'll bump the collar and you'll get instant feedback that you're doing that. So one way to keep your head in the putt is, is just, just do the Elvis drill. You know, pop your collar, keep your head still. Um, <laughs> that's a key thing to do. Another thing you can do to stay silver putt is, you know, the um, the skier squat you do um, to work on your quad strength. We did it in basketball in, in high school. Um, but you lean against the wall and you slide down the wall and you hold that position. Yeah. Well, that one you can do to help the putting and help you stay still is Instead of sliding down to your your legs are your upper leg is parallel to the ground, slide down a little bit on the wall, cross your arms, and then move your your shoulders back and forth. And in that position, it locks you down and it teaches you that independence I was talking about to move your upper without moving your lower. So if your lower is wiggling around, that's changing the orientation of the putter face and the path and really messes you up. Like you said, you can miss low, you can miss high depending on the, the break of the putt. And Rob, one of the great thrills for me and my son, Jonathan, this year was we got to meet up with you at Augusta National, got to spend some time with you, and, and then you introduced us to Bob Goby. And Mr. Goby won the Masters in 1968, won 11 times on the PGA Tour and a couple times on the Senior Tour as well. And, and his, his nephews, which I didn't know until, until much later, but his nephews are Jerry and Jay Haas, and obviously his grandnephew is Bill Haas. But, but talk about what a great player Mr. Goby was and your relationship with he and his family. Gosh, I've known Mr. Goby since I was four years old and um, played golf against his boys. And, of course, Jerry Haas is my contemporary. Jerry's a year older than me. And, and Jay, I think Jay's like nine years old or so. So as I was growing up in the game, Jay was off at Wake Forest and then turned pro. And we'd see him frequently at the club. But I've, I've known them for a long, long time. And one of my greatest thrills was um, I was probably 12 years old at the time, and I, I was out the golf course all day. No one had played more golf at St. Clair Country, Country Club in Belleville than Jay, than Jerry or myself. We, no, no one's played more golf there ever in their life. I was out there all day long, and one day I was up on the putting green practicing, and, and Jerry and Mr. Goldby were going to go play. And they said, hey, you want to join us? I said, sure. So we get over to 13, and 13 is this little volcano part three. It slopes off on the right, it slopes on the, on the, off on the left. It's a narrow, skinny green that can't be more than 
25, 30 feet across. And if you miss it left or right, you're going to make bogey or double. I, the pin was on the left side of the green, and I pulled it, and it hit and bounced down the left-hand bunker, which was just dead. And I got in there, and I, I flipped a decent bunker shot out to 10 feet, which was pretty good from down in there. And I made the putt, which was a really good three. And I walked over, so you know my putter, while Jerry was putting. And all of a sudden, this big shadow came next to me and elbowed me. It was Mr. Goldie. I looked up at him, looked down at me, and he said, darn fine save, young man. And, and when you're 12 years old and you've got a master's champion, pay you a compliment like that. Tell you what, you stand a little taller, your heart gets a little bigger, and your confidence grows immeasurably. Yeah, fantastic story. You know, Mr. Gobi, and, and he, you know, we had a, just a couple of minutes with him, but uh, seems like a, a, a very nice and a very helpful man. Talk. Talk about his influence on the rest of your golf career. Oh, my gosh. Whenever whenever Mr. Goldberg or Jerry, Jerry talked, I shut up. And, you know, and Jerry paid me a great compliment a couple of years ago. He said, you know, a lot of players don't listen. He said, to your credit, you listen. And, I mean, if I had a dollar, every time I heard Mr. Goldberg say, the back of the left hand controls the club base. You know, I'd buy us both a TV and radio studio. We'd have our own spot to host, <laughs> host our shows. I mean, I heard it all the time. And so, you know, the, the influences, the stories from the tour, I mean, whenever I'm with him, I'm taking notes, um, either in my phone or in a notepad. Um, There's just, you know, one day we were just talking. He said, you know, I've never seen a great ball striker who did not have his right heel in front of his toes at impact. Boom, out of the blue, just that comment. And um, just just an amazing wealth of knowledge in that quote-unquote old school. We get wrapped up in the, all the new technology of the game and the, the, the learn the biomechanics and, you know, the radio or deviation comment um, thoughts and, and alpha, beta, gamma torques. But you know what? That old, you know, cool stuff still has a place in the game and you know, the great thing about the game of golf is the voices of the past coach into the future whether you read about the hogan's the sneeds the bobby joneses the, the, the hagans and how they played the game and what they did what they thought and how they persevered and dealt with you know a crisis in a golf tournament how they they worked through things to win tournaments and become champions those voices still coach into us now in the future and are still applicable. And the great champions of the game now have studied and learned from the great champions of the past and can tell you the things about them that the players that only hope to be great don't even know. And Rob, to that end, you're right. I mean, there's all kinds of technology. I mean, obviously the technology and the equipment and the golf ball is different. We have track men now, so there's a lot of data and those sorts of things. But the, the fundamentals of the golf swing, they haven't changed that much over the years, have they? Well, you know, so we throw the word fundamental around a lot. And um, there's another, another couple of coaches that I heard this from. This isn't an original thought. But by definition, a fundamental means something that everybody does the same. So it's something that, that's the same across the board. And it's like people will say, I want to work on my setup fundamentals. Well, you don't set up like me. We're not built alike. 
I certainly wouldn't set up like Henrik Stenson, who's 6'4", or Nick Faldo, who's 6'5". Um, Brian Harmon, who's shorter than me, he wouldn't strive to set up like me, or I wouldn't set up like Natalie Dolbus. So set up is a puzzle. My job as a coach is to figure your puzzle out. How do you fold yourself over a golf ball so that you can then move athletically and correctly and do what your body will allow you to do to successfully, number one, control the face, number two, deliver square and solid contact, and number three, produce speed to launch the ball. So the fun, you know, one of the few fundamentals is what I just mentioned is impact, shaft weight, left hand controlling the, the, the club face, um, solid center squared impact, um, shaft orientation to the ground, all those things become very fundamental as you look at the great ball strikers in the game compared to the, the everyday player who may struggle with ball striking. Rob, when I think about some of the things that you've done, right? I saw a great video that you put together um, about a tip. You talked about, you know, Jerry Haas. It's a, it's a three-wood drill that he shared with you so that you could, you know, Talking about you know getting more confidence, I think a, a place that where a lot of us lack confidence is three wood off the deck. We tend to chunk it, we tend to top it, we we don't make solid contact. But he shared with you a three wood drill that um, that I think would help a lot of us do make more solid contact with our three woods. You mind sharing that drill? That was that was a good one. Um, we were out. The, the last tournament of the year on what was then the Nike Tour was out in Sonoma County, California. This is in the mid-90s. And it was the last event of the year. And uh, it was an event that Jerry went on to win. He won three times that year on the Nike Tour. And that's why they have the battle still promotions because of him. So a great, a great feather in my good friend's cap that, that he did that. And they recognized if you win three times a year, you should automatically get promoted to the big tour. But we're getting ready to go play a practice round. And I walked down from where I was hitting balls a few places down from him, and he's hitting three woods, and he's got him on a tee. And I said, um, I said hey, Jerry, what are you doing? I said, um, why are you hitting him off a tee? And he goes, well, you know what? I've been struggling with my three wood a little bit lately. And that's, I just wanted to put it on a peg and just get some confidence in it. And that I can tee it up a little bit, hit some good confident shots. Then when it's on the ground, I hit these good ones, it won't matter. And I kept thinking, that's really, really smart. And that's one of the little inside things that you learn on the tour when you're inside the ropes. It's one of the big things I miss about not being a player anymore is the inside the ropes conversations you have with other players. And so what I tell my players who are struggling with freewood is I tell them you're going to tee it up a little higher than normal and hit five balls. Get some confidence there. Then you're going to tee it down a little lower, uh, sorry, higher than normal. So you're going to tee it down normal and hit some and get confident. Then you're going to tee it down lower than normal, like it's almost on the ground, and hit it and get confident. And then take the tee away altogether, and you should have confidence. Because the problem with freewood is, is it's the least lofted club will hit off the ground. Now, we can hit driver off the deck, but we don't normally do that. We'll hit the, the three-wood off the ground, and we don't see a lot of space there. So we try to have... Uh, try to help it off the ground. And that's what gets us in trouble. So it was a great drill, and it was fun to ask Jerry and have him share it. And it was fun for me to get on Golf Channel and be able to give 
uh, one of my best friends in golf and growing up. Um, some props for something on national TV that was really a great show and helped players. Rob, something that we saw recently at the Zozo Championship, and I think you retweeted it out on uh, on your Twitter page, was Bubba Watson teeing off completely sideways on a par five. It was the par five six hole, and he, you know he hit it back over the the previous green down the fairway. You know, sliced it so it was over a set of trees across two holes, kind of leaving himself a a short iron to the to the original hole green, um, which was pretty imaginative he ended up only making a par out of it but i'm curious you played out on tour for a long time ever see anything like that oh yeah i've, I've done that before and you're, you're jogging my memory where did i do that there was a whole oh gosh i remember it was monday qualifying for the old um event they had at callaway garden in um in callaway garden um and the uh the monday qualifying cars the the first hole was kind of an S-shaped par five. And you could play into the ninth fairway on number one. And it happened to be my tenth hole. I started on ten. And I turned in three under and promptly played into the ninth fairway, upside the green and flipped a wedge on. Otherwise, you had to play this kind of funny, circuitous route to get there. And um, that uh, that was one time I took a a flyer on a hole and said, I'm going this way and, um, and made it a little shorter rock green. And uh, I think I shot 65 that day and was in a wow to get in the field and, um, and got knocked out of the second hole. So if you had been in the playoff and they were going back through that same hole again, would you have done it again? Played out, played down the uh, I, other fairway. I did do it in the playoff. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't the only. Rob, a couple of more, <laughs> couple of more before I let you go. And I want to talk. I want to get back to putting because uh, one of the things you did on the show was a putting drill utilizing some sort of household items, including a AAA battery that seemed like a uh, a fantastic thing. Made a lot of sense. Talk about what that drill is. That was the Paul Bunyan drill. So. So it's actually, you use three batteries. You do use a DSC and a AAA. And on, on TV, I, I, you want to give up three feet away. So it's a drill to help you get confidence in short time. So you get, you get three feet or 12 lengths away from the D battery, and you just try to knock the D battery over with your first putt. Then you have another ball, and you have a C battery, and you try to knock the C battery over. And then, of course, you get to the AAA, and that's pretty skinny. So now you're trying to just chop all three of them down in a row, and you, you chop that AAA battery down. Well, you know what? The hole looks pretty big when you can knock a AAA battery down from three feet. So it was a, it was a fun, creative drill to get some confidence and if you really focus on line when you putt. And I did a segment on my Halloween show. I did a, a, a segment on scary shots, and one of the scary shots are short putts. And one thing I always told myself in competition, Chris, was when I had a, a nervy three, four, five footer, I always told myself this. I said, you know what? You've made a million of these. Get in there and knock it, and this is just going to be a million and one. And you know what? When that thought was in my brain, I very rarely missed the button. Rob, I want to switch gears because I want to get your thoughts. I was just talking to Frank Nabilo about the President's Cup. 
And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, six, seven weeks away. But um want to get your thoughts. If uh, you're Captain Rob Strano, you picking Tiger Woods to be on your team? My answer to that question is, um, how do I want to answer that question? My answer is no. And if I'm Tiger, I'm also not picking myself. And I heard Frank's answer, and I, I love Frank Novello. What a great guy. He's a great golf channel guy. I've had a chance to engage him in conversation uh, in the studio before, and um, does a fantastic job for us as a channel. Um, but, but my thought is, if, if I'm the captain of the team, I have a responsibility as being the captain. I am the captain of the team. I am the guy that's behind the wheel of the boat. I'm the guy that's calling the shots. And my team is looking up to me to do that and to be there and not be distracted. And I think that's the responsibility. It's an honor to be selected with this Ryder Cup or President's Cup as a captain. It's an honor. And I just feel like I feel like it takes away from that if you go, well, I'm gonna play too. No. I think I don't I don't pick him because his record's not that great, but I also don't pick him because or if I'm him, I don't pick myself because I want to live up to the honor of being the captain. And to me, nothing could be more fun as the captain than to watch than to watch your guys win it for you as the captain. And what's interesting, I've got a few connections to the PGA Tour. And here, I hold in my hand an envelope. And as a child of four can plainly see this envelope has been hermetically sealed. It's been kept in a mayonnaise jar in Funkin' Wagner's porch since noon today, and no one at the PGA Tour knows the contents of this envelope, but me in my mystical and borderline divine way will tell you that this envelope contains Tiger's captain's pick, given Ooh. to me to share with you. So I will now open the envelope. Wow. Here we go. Here we go. Envelope number one? Envelope number one. Okay. First Tiger, Captain Spit, Tony Finau, right there. Right wow. Off the bat. Great choice. Tony Finau. Palmer, okay. Ryder Cup experience, has been a, a great player here for a while. Okay, here we go. Envelope number two. Envelope yeah, number two? Ready? Yeah, I, I said that. Envelope number two. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good choice. Captain America, Patrick Reed. The guy lives for wow. this stuff. Wow. He's got more red, white, and blue clothing than Betsy Ross has red, white, and blue fabric to make the flag. This guy <laughs> will show up ready to go. Ready to go. Here we go. Envelope number three. Envelope number three. Yes, yes, three. Yes, very good. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. Envelope number three. <laughs> the U.S. Open champion, Gary Woodland. you got to go with the guy. Ooh. He's been yeah. clutch all year. You know, Bomber doesn't impress me as being afraid of any big moments, but definitely at the U.S. Open was not afraid. Great choice. I hold in my hand now the final envelope. Last envelope. Yay! Yes, the last envelope. Okay. Now, this could contain Tiger's name. This is, these are his envelopes. Might be his name. Let's see who he's got in here. Last envelope. Okay, the last name, Ricky Fowler. There's your four captains. 
for the President wow. Cup, Tina Woodland Reed and Fowler. That's wow. the President's Cup captain's pick. So for Captain Rob Strano or Tiger Woods. Any concern about picking Patrick Reed? That seems to be a controversial one because he's uh, not that well liked in the locker room. Any concern about you him? You know what? I, you know, I'm, I'm not. I mean, Patrick Reed, I, I've talked to Patrick and been around him a little bit enough to get a sense. He's never been anything more than cordial with me, around me. I, I love the guy's passion. I love the energy he brings um, to the event. Um you know, if 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 I'm gonna pick a wild card, you know, go go off the grid and pick someone. Here's a name I would pick off the grid. Ready? Cameron yep. Champ. Really? Why? I picked Cameron Champ off the grid. I had a chance to follow him on um, Monday at the Sanderson Farm. That's who I just like the guy's game. Yeah, he can he can move it, but Boy, his swing is good, and he and Sean Foley do a lot of good work together, and he's one of those guys that can get out there as game sharp. He can make a lot of birdies. That would be that would be my wild card off-the-wall pick. And, you know, I like just picking the, the young guys. You know, I believe in the Ryder Cup, we keep picking these older guys that have all this baggage, and they've been just pummeled in the Ryder Cup. We keep going, hey, let's pick him because he's got experience. Yeah. He's got bad experience. That's what he brings. He doesn't bring any 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 good experience. It's all bad. You know, that's Tiger. You know, he can pick himself, but his experience in these teams events is lousy. You know, and it's I I wouldn't pick him. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm in that same camp, Rob. I, I don't think I'd pick Tiger either. Um I get Three wins in the last, you know, 12, 13 months. Obviously, the Masters was a huge thing. The Zozo, right after the the surgery, came back strong. Looks good. But he's just not. He's not good in Ryder Cup. It's just the record, 13, 17, and I can't remember how many ties, three, four, whatever it is. But he's just not that good. And I don't, and I don't you know, know if it's because the guys he's playing with as his teammates struggle. Um you know they can't they, they they can't sort of bounce off of one another. They put too much pressure on him. They leave him in bad spots. I mean, you know, I'd have to go back and look at all the film. But the record's the record, right? Bill Parcells, right? You are what your record says you are. You're 13 and yeah. 17. Uh, You're not that good. I, I look. I, I wouldn't take him. I look. Yeah, I look at it this way. Um, Tiger got to be Tiger because of the lone wolf mentality. Um. So I think it, it, it's tough for him when you put him with someone to separate the lone wolf mentality of him and the way he, the way he plays to, to win. Um, you know, to win the 82 event, it's different than winning uh, an ultra shot or a, a, what I call it, a best ball match. Um, you know, singles head-to-head, everybody's going to give them their best punch. Um, the 17 losses is what gives me pause. So that's a lot of losses. That's a lot of taking off your hat and you going to shake the guy's hand um, because he, you know, he took you down. Um, that's that's a lot of tail, you know, tail between your legs moments. And I just think the lone wolf is what makes it a tough, tough pairing. Yeah, and if 
if I was going to go the opposite direction and I was going to go ahead and, and pick Tiger for all of the other reasons for, you know, everyone wants to watch him, the TV and all that sort of stuff, I'd hold him out until Sunday and let him play in the singles match. And, you know, maybe I make him, you know, either the lead dog or, or the guy that I know I can count on in the end, because I think in the singles, he's probably fine. I think in the four ball and alternate shot, not so much. Yeah. Rob, before I, I, I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. Well, um, we've got all our social media locations. I've got several different spots on social media, Strano Golf Academy, or to follow the show, you can follow me at the Golf Kingdom on social media. And the the big announcement I'm going to share here first, because you're my guy, Chris. I love being on the show, so I want to honor your show with this big announcement about the Golf Kingdom TV show. This week, you can now find the Golf Kingdom TV show on Roku and Amazon Fire. So we've gone national. We've got our own Roku and Amazon Fire channels. So for those of you that haven't caught it um, regionally in the southeast or streamed, you can now on your Roku and Amazon device download the channel. So go there and search the Golf Kingdom. We've got the um, a welcome video there. We've got one of the first episodes up. So I'm kind of picking out our best episodes from season one, and we'll be putting them out over the next few weeks so everybody can kind of watch them and enjoy what you've done in the Golf Kingdom as we get ready to film new episodes in uh, in 2020 for those two two platforms specifically. So excited to have the, uh, the Golf Kingdom available to everybody everywhere. And we'll be announcing that on social media the rest of the week. But I wanted to announce it here first uh, just for you, Chris, because you're a good friend and wanted to kind of, uh, you know, do it with you here on the show. Um, but that, that's the big news we've been kind of smiling about this week already. That's fantastic stuff. Good for you, Rob. Congratulations. And uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out there and then uh, looking forward to season number two. I can't thank you enough for coming back and doing the announcement here on the show and, and, and as I can say, seven times. You're a great friend, you're a great instructor, and you're a 10 times better person. So I appreciate you very much, my friend. Well, thank you. It's always good to be here with you and your listeners. And thanks again for having me, Chris. Take care, Rob. We'll catch up soon. You bet. That's a great Rob Strano, S-T-R-A-N-O. Rob Strano, uh, you know, Robbie is just one of the wonderful people you get to meet in this life and getting to spend some time with him. This year, I had the honor of being down, like I say, at Kelly Plantation and uh, getting this, uh, some time to talk with Rob, watch Rob, and uh, got a couple of golf lessons as well, working on my uh, my weight shift and, and my putting stroke, and uh, it was all great stuff, and uh, I can't thank Rob enough for his time. How about that? Roku and, uh, and on Amazon, you're going to be able to check out the Golf Kingdom, so it's, it's a fun show. He talked about it being a variety show, so Rob does a lot of creative things to help you figure out a way to, you know, improve your golf swing, right? It's a lot of different drills uh, and it's fun to watch. So it's, uh, it's not your average, uh, you know, what you'd see on the golf channel. Rob does some great stuff on golf Academy. Uh, so he's got those videos out there as well, but uh, Strano golf is a, a great place online to be able to stay up with uh, all the great things Rob's doing and follow him. And, and like I say, the golf uh, kingdom, uh, is, boy, I can't be more excited to think that now we can stream it. Uh, Blab TV is great and it's got an app. So for, for those of us in the Southeast, you can download that app and stream it there. But for everybody else, it's, uh, it's a great place to go now. We have uh, a couple of new outlets. So 
check out the uh, the Golf Kingdom. Rob's fantastic. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to Bob Friend, Frank Navalo, and Rob Schreiner for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with our guest schedule, so you'll see who's coming up. You can also stream us. We, we, we you know, log back over. We uh, link back over to podbean.com. And again, our sincere thanks to Podbean for uh, featuring this week's shows right there front and center on their mobile app. So you can go on there. You'll see us right there in the banner and uh, you'll be able to link back over to our page and stream or download any of our archive episodes as well. Please also check us out on launchpaddm.com. Click the uh, subscribe button. We'd really appreciate that. You can also find the show on other great sites like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Player.fm. Please give me your thoughts. You can go on to Facebook. Check out our Facebook page, Next on the T with Chris Mascaro. So if you've got a comment or a question for someone who is a guest or has been a guest, please let me know in the comment section, and I'll be glad to get those uh, questions answered for you. Folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for continuing to choose to make this show a part of your golf- golfing content. We really appreciate you so much. Until next week. Hit him straight, my friend. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you it's all about the great game of golf it's all about the 